Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Holidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. If you haven't already, if you would turn to Psalm 62, Psalm 62. I suspect there are some of you here that are waiting for some specific answer to prayer. There is some situation in your life that um, you've turned over to the Lord or some circumstance that you don't know what to do. And uh, you're kind of waiting to see what God's going to do in your life or in that situation. Maybe it involves a family member. Maybe it involves your health. Maybe it involves your job or something financial. I don't know what it is, but God knows what it is. One of the things, and I learned this again being with our grandchildren this past uh, week, and then we got to see our youngest grandson coming home. Uh, from our four grandsons, and I've saw, seen this as the older ones have grown up, children don't like to hear from their parents the word not now, you know. Uh, they don't like to hear the word uh, wait. And children have a real difficult time waiting. Our youngest grandson, Elijah, was able to be with us at Christmas, and so as he opened one gift, he couldn't wait to get to the next gift. And I kept saying, Elijah, slow down, you know, <laughs> make it last a little while. But that's kind of true of children. But, you know, as we get into our adolescent and adult years, that same uh, disease, you might say, of waiting carries with us. Isn't it interesting that in a culture like ours where we have so much technology, and this technology helps to shorten things that before would take a longer time, but you would think that would help us with our waiting, but it just makes us even more anxious and more impatient to wait. And so everybody struggles, at least in some way, with um, waiting. And as Christians, we're certainly not immune to this. Now, I'm talking about maybe some things. Uh, we live in Duncansville, up by foot of 10, and so often when we're coming through Duncansville, either from home or to home, there'll be a train on the tracks and um, I often calculate, now if I turn around and go another way, uh, and usually if I do that, I, it takes me longer. I don't like to wait. I don't like waiting rooms. Nothing against any doctors that are here, but you go to the doctor and you go into the waiting room. And then that nice person comes and invites you into another room. And then it's the interior waiting room. And I understand why they do that. And uh, I, I don't like to wait. Um, I'm sure that you are, many of you, the same way. Well, those are minor things in life, but I'm talking now about waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord to intervene, waiting on the Lord to answer a prayer. I think for us believers, this is sometimes the hardest kind and difficult type of waiting. Now, Psalm 62 was written by David. He gave it to one of his musicians, Jeduthun. You know, uh, David loved music. Uh, First time we introduced to David as a shepherd boy, he plays the harp and ministered, uh, music must have ministered to David as it ministers to us. And we've been ministered to this morning with our 
uh, music. And so this psalm, though, some of the psalms, it will say in the introduction, this happened when this was going on in David's life. Many of the psalms, like Psalm 62, we don't know for sure what the circumstances were that caused David to pen this particular psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Many believe it was the time of Absalom's rebellion. David's son Absalom rebelled against him, and David had to leave Jerusalem in shame. And we know that this was part of the consequences that David paid for his sin with Bathsheba. Even though God forgave David, remember, forgiveness does not cancel consequences. And so we reap what we sow, even though God is very gracious and God forgave David, but this was part of the price David paid for his infidelity. Well, in verses 3 and 4, it certainly appears that this is something personal. In fact, if you look at Psalm 62, verse 3, how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. So apparently, David's under some kind of attack. There are people who apparently appear to be friendly toward him, but are inwardly cursing him and turning against him. So this psalm would certainly be a parallel to when Absalom rebelled, though we can't say with certainty, but it does seem likely that it was at that particular time that David wrote this psalm. Certainly, whatever the situation is, David is waiting for God to intervene on his behalf. And it's from this psalm then we can draw certain lessons or make certain applications or principles that we can learn as we look at this psalm and as we learn and that can help us learn how to wait on the Lord. First principle is this, the Lord is capable of handling my situation, I am not. The Lord is capable of handling my situation, I am not. Some of you are dealing with situations that seem humanly impossible, humanly impossible to unwind, humanly impossible to undo. Maybe some of that is from your own sin or our own sin, or maybe it's the result of other people's sin, or maybe it's the result of certain circumstances, life circumstances. But I'm sure there are people in here who are in certain situations, and you and I need to be reminded that the Lord is capable of handling any situation, even when I am not. Look at verse 1. Truly my soul silently waits for God. This literally says, only to God is my soul silence. David is not advocating that we be mute, that we don't say anything. He's advocating that we be calm in this certain situation. Paul Tripp, in his classic book, Broken Down House, defines this kind of waiting as those moments when you do not understand what God is doing and you have no power to change your circumstances for the better. Now, this is so important that David repeats it. Look in verse 5. My soul waits silently for God alone. Repetition in the Bible is always for emphasis. So David is reminding us and reminding himself right at the beginning of this psalm that we need to trust in the Lord to handle whatever this situation is in David's life and whatever situation you're dealing with in your life. The prophet Habakkuk faced time for waiting for God to answer. And in Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now, we could interpret that and say that this means that 
we are not to be continually questioning God's apparent lack of intervention. Now, I said apparent lack of intervention. The word apparent is one of the key words in that sentence. What we often think is apparent is really not apparent, certainly from God's viewpoint. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without complaining and disputing. When we're complaining, we're not listening to God. We're not being silent in prayer before him. We're not meditating on his word. This is one of the habitual sins of the Exodus generation. It says in Psalm 106, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. They complained in their tents, that Exodus generation that was always murmuring among themselves, complaining to God. God was doing a great work and had done a great work in their midst, but they were complaining instead of trusting in the Lord. Let me ask you a question. When does God take a day off? When does God take a nap? <laughs> when does God sleep? He doesn't. There is... God is never inactive. That's why I said apparent. It's apparent sometimes we think God is not working. But that is not true. Psalm 121 says, He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps you will not slumber. God's always on the job. He never says, you know, I've got a lot of things going on over here, so I'm going to leave you here with your situation alone for a while, and I'm going to move over in here. God never does that. Because God is actively working always on our behalf. So God is working while we are waiting. God is working while we are waiting. Look at verse 1. From him comes my salvation. Now, I believe in the context here, salvation here means deliverance. You know, when you look, see the word salvation in the Bible, you need to understand the context. Now, certainly, the Bible talks about salvation from sin, and we'll mention that again in a moment. But I think here the idea is deliverance. David is saying, I'm waiting on God. It's from him that my deliverance is going to come. Just because we can't perceive his activity does not mean that God is not working on our behalf. God is never, ever inactive. The psalmist in Psalm 37 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. The next principle I want to turn your attention to is this. The Lord knows what is best for me, I don't. The Lord knows what is best for me, I don't. I think I do. <laughs> I'm often good at giving God counsel. You ever done that? Give God advice? At, say to God, you know, here's how I think you should handle this situation. It's funny, he's never on my program. <laughs> he's never on my timetable because God is sovereign and he is God and we are not. Notice verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Verse 2. He only. Verse 5. For God alone. Verse 6. He only. Now David did not completely understand what was happening. He knew if this was Absalom's rebellion, he knew his sins had caused this and was part of this, and he was reaping what he was sowing, but he still didn't know for sure how God was going to work all this out. He knew that God had forgiven him of his sin. He confessed his sin, but he still wasn't sure the end from the beginning. We know that God has a purpose in any continuing trial. What we view oftentimes as nothing happening is really God doing a work. 
that he's actively changing us. You see, waiting on the Lord and walking by faith go hand in hand. We walk by faith, not by sight. Waiting on the Lord and walking by faith go hand in hand. Alistair Begg says, waiting, in other words, resting in the assurance that the promises that God has made, he will fulfill. The promises God has made, he will fulfill. The Webster de definition of the word wait is this, to stay in a place in expectation of. To stay in a place in expectation of. We're waiting for something. We're waiting for something to happen. We're expecting something. Now, the primary Hebrew word and the various Greek words that are translated wait in Scripture all have that same idea of expectancy. Verse 5, my soul waits silently for God alone. I love this. For my expectation is from him. My expectation is from him. There's one of the keys to learning to wait on the Lord. Um, sometimes we're expecting other people to intervene. Sometimes we're expecting other people to change. Sometimes we're expecting something we can do to, to change the situation. And sometimes we can do those kinds of things. But sometimes, and some of you are in situations right now, I am sure this is true of some of you. The only expectation that you really can have is from the Lord. He's the only one that knows what's going to happen or knows what he's going to do in this situation. So we need to keep our focus upon God, not just on what we're waiting for. Isaiah 64, 4, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for those for the one who waits for him, who acts for the one who waits for him. I've learned over the years that I can't fix any of you. You know, as pastors, we do counseling, we do discipleship, we work with people. And when I was a young pastor, I thought I could just fix things. But I've learned over the years, I can't fix any of you. I can't fix myself. <laughs> How am I ever going to fix you? Only God can do that. And God is the one who does the work. The word expectation here means a cord or an attachment. The same word is translated hope in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Same word. It's the idea of being attached. I think of the unborn child in the womb of their mother. And the umbilical cord connects them to their mother. And the mother is able to give them everything that they need to sustain their life and for them to grow and be able to be born healthy. And so, when you and I get saved, we are born again. God gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit. We, we, we are connected. We are attached to God. We're in his family. You see, the unsaved have no expectations beyond this life. If you're here today without Christ as your Savior, I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm saying, has there ever been a time in your life where you can look back and say, that's when I recognized that I was a sinner. I realized that I was under the deserved judgment of a holy God. And I heard the message of the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I realized that he died for me. The God the Father put all of my sin on his own perfect son and judged his son on the cross. And that he died 
is buried, but then he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And when I, by faith, put all of my trust and faith in Jesus Christ, my expectation for the future is I'm not trusting in anyone or anything except Jesus Christ and his death, burial, resurrection, the gospel. Now, if you've not done that, if you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your only expectations are in this life, only in this life. Proverbs eleven seven: when a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. Why is that true? Because without Christ, you have nothing to bind you to eternity. Without Christ, you have nothing to bind you to eternity. Only when you know Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you're living for him and walking with him, only then... Are you bound to eternity through the promise of God, through the indwelling Holy Spirit? And one day, you and I have an incredible expectation. The the ensemble sang about it. We are going to literally walk on those streets of gold in that new Jerusalem. That's That's my expectation, not because of anything that I have done or I do. It's only because of the grace and mercy of our Savior. Chuck Swindoll said, I've never known anyone who is disappointed that they chose to wait. And he's talking about waiting on the Lord. If you're like me, there are times where I rush ahead. There are times where, okay, I'm going to take care of this situation myself. And what usually happens is we muck it up all the more. We make it even worse. And then we end up having to wait longer till God works out those broken pieces that all the debris that we have caused. And I've never um, been disappointed when I've stood back and prayed and waited on God to do what only God can do. Here's another principle. The Lord can see what I cannot see. The Lord can see what I cannot see. I love the fact that I learned years ago that God is eternal, so God sees all of time at the same time. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees things that have not yet happened as if they'd already happened. And so he can see what I cannot see. Verse 6, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Now, David had gotten some certain promises from God. We call it the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And God had promised him that his throne, his house, his kingdom would be established forever. Yet if this psalm was written when Absalom has you know, rebelled against David. David has, doesn't know if he's ever going to get back to Jerusalem, ever going to sit on the throne again. Of course, he eventually did. But he did know he had these promises from God, but he didn't know for sure how, when, or if these were going to happen in his lifetime. And certainly the full extent of this promise has not happened yet and, and did not happen in his lifetime. They, are, they come through Jesus Christ. Too often... We try to solve our circumstances with our limited perspective. Instead of relying upon God, who knows the end from the beginning, who turning to our Savior, putting faith in his word and faith in God, that is the antidote for despair. See, Christians can be despairing. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul said that he despaired even of life. Uh, look at Elijah after that great victory on Mount Carmel. You know, he's hiding in a cave, and, and he's all depressed and despondent and despairing. The yeah, antidote for that 
There's hope in God, faith in God, faith in His Word. You see, as we focus upon God, our assurance grows. As we focus upon God, our assurance grows. You focus on your circumstance and your anxiety will grow. But when we focus on God, our assurance grows. Notice how David's confidence is growing. Verse 2, I shall not be greatly moved. Verse 6, I shall not be moved. That word is translated shaken in the New American Standard Bible. God is my salvation. It's literally upon God depends my salvation. God already knows what he's going to do. He knows when he's going to do it. And so we trust in him to do it in his time, in his way. Sometimes we pray for some things. I've seen this in the life of, of the three churches I pastored. We pray for certain things. We ask God. We, we, we trust him. And then sometimes he leads us in that direction, sometimes in another direction. Because God is the one who can see what we cannot see. He's more interested in the process than in the final product. The final product is we're going to be like Jesus, and he's making us more like Christ every day. And it's a very painful process at times. But yet God is interested in that. John Piper says, Waiting on the Lord is the opposite of running ahead of the Lord. It is the opposite of bailing out on the Lord. It's staying at your appointed place while he says stay. Or it's going at his appointed pace while he says go. It's not impetuous, and it's not despairing. Psalm 34 says, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Now, God is always working when we are waiting. And often, if it's involved a personality issue, if it's a person, maybe a family member or maybe someone else, then what do we often do? We pray for God to change that person. God, why can't you work in that person's life? <laughs> Make them into the kind of person that I I can get along with or the kind of person that I think they should be. Well, waiting will both expose and develop our character. We'll both expose and develop our character. The Bible calls this perseverance. Um, newsflash, God is more concerned with my character than my comfort. You know, sometimes in, in counseling, uh, we pastors will talk to somebody who's living outside the will of God, and they'll say, well, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I know that God wants me to be happy. And, and we say, no, God wants you to be obedient, you know. And if you're obedient, the joy of the Lord will fill your soul. God is more interested in my character than in my comfort. That's why he allows trials in our lives. He knows what I am becoming as I wait upon him. And there are some lessons I can only learn in God's waiting room. I can only learn when I'm waiting on the Lord. I think of the children of Israel. They stood on the banks of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army and his chariots were coming down upon them. When you study that passage, you learn they're in like a cul-de-sac. They can't go to the left. They can't go to the right. Behind them is the Red Sea. In front of them is Pharaoh and his chariots thundering down upon them. And Moses cried out and said, Do not be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And sometimes that's the answer that God gives us. Here's another principle. The Lord's will is always right, so I should always seek his will. The Lord's will is always right, so I should seek his will. 
what I should pray is, Lord, what is your will in this situation? Lord, show me your will in this situation. And if your will is that I'm, I continue to wait, then help me, help me, give me the, give me the stamina, give me the perseverance, develop that in my character. Look at verse eight. Trust him, in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. David's challenges believers to continually trust in God. Trust in God when it's easy and trust in God when it's hard. We trust in him at all times. Easy to trust when things are going good. Harder to trust when we're in an unpleasant circumstance or in an impossible situation from our perspective. Because God has a purpose in every trial. He has a purpose in every time that he has us to be waiting upon him. Our heart is often full of worry, anxiety, frustration, anger, etc. God desires us to pour it out to him. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. It's a beautiful psalm. It means roll your burden over onto the Lord. Because he can handle it. I think sometimes we become anxious because we are prayerless. You see that in Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so he has a, that's a promise. When I pray, when I turn this over to the Lord, when, when I habitually do that instead of complaining and crying out to God and being angry with God, God says, I will give you a peace that passes understanding. And he always does that. See, only God's spirit through his word provides infallible counsel. Infall Where do you go for infallible counsel? I said in the early service, go to Pastor Lou. There you go, go to Pastor Lou. Now, any of us pastors can't give infallible counsel. But God's word and God's spirit can. Verse 9, surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. See, uh, at times we're tempted to look to people first. But men, whether they are average men or women or great men or women, they're just men and women. Only God in his word and his spirit gives infallible counselor. You remember Ahithophel? Ahithophel was David's chief counselor who, who turned against him and Absalom rebelled against him. And I wonder if that's a veiled reference to Ahithophel. Psalm 118, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. You know, he talks here about don't trust in oppression nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. I'm wondering if David is saying, look, don't trust on your human resource. Don't, don't be trying to finagle things, you know. Don't, don't be trying to intervene even in, in dishonest ways. You can never do right by doing wrong. You can never do wrong to do right. When I was at Liberty as a student, we would do certain Christian service and one was to speak when we got opportunities to speak. And so we had an opportunity to speak at a, a nursing home in a place called Farmville, Virginia, east of Lynchburg. And the guy I was working with, Mike, uh, he and I were going to go speak at this, this nursing home. So um, we get in the car and we start out. And Mike says, uh, by the way, where are we going? I says, oh, we're going to Farmville. He goes, Farmville? I said, yes, yeah, right on the other side of Appomattox. He says, 
do you realize how far it is from Appomattox? It's 28 miles from Appomattox. We're going to be late. So being a good Baptist fella, I prayed to the Lord and said, God, don't let me get a ticket. And I did what, I, what they say. I put the pedal to the metal. I'm going 78 miles an hour in a 55-mile zone. And needless to say, God did not answer my prayer. <laughs> I popped over a hill, and a, and a uh, Virginia State cop was coming this way. And uh, I, as soon as I saw him, I just pulled off the road. I didn't even wait for him to turn his lights on because I knew I was nailed. And it ended up costing me a ticket. Um, you know, that's a valuable lesson. Sometimes we think if we can manipulate and we can get things done, don't, don't cut the edges. Don't, you know, don't cheat. God will take care of it. And the last principle is the Lord should be glorified in my waiting. The Lord should be glorified in my waiting. Verse 11, God has spoken once, twice, I have heard this. The power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you rendered each one according to his work. Now again, you see this, this, this reference to repetition. God has spoken once, twice I've heard that. So David's conclusion deserves special attention. That's what he's pointing out here. The strength that we need to wait on the Lord must come from him and him alone. David has been focusing upon the Lord's ability to carry us through circumstances. So we're not able, but God is completely able. It's interesting, David references another attribute of God, the word mercy. It's the word hesed. You've heard that word many times referred to from this pulpit. It's that word loving kindness. It's that very special word that talks about God's loyal love, and it's based on his co covenant promises. Psalm 84, 11, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. But notice this, waiting on the Lord does not mean inactivity. One of the great psalms about waiting on the Lord is Isaiah chapter 30, uh, uh, scriptures is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That doesn't sound like inactivity at all, does it? Um, doesn't mean we're inactive. It just means we accept things that we cannot change. And so things we can change, we do it and we do it the right way. Things we can't change... We turn over to the Lord and trust him for that. When we do act, we do so with a spirit of reliance upon him. So God can take what little we offer, and he can multiply it and use it for his glory. I think we as a church are in God's waiting room. I know some of you have been wondering, what is the next step for Grace Bible Church? Um. We're about to pay off our loan, which is just phenomenal. It's a it's glory to God and, 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 and a credit to you all who've been so faithfully giving. Actually, we're going to pay it off this year, right on track. Uh, in January, the, the monthly statement, I looked at the monthly statement, and it says that our as of the end of January, what we owe on the loan is $61,643.33. I've got 33 cents in my pocket. If somebody wants to write the check for the rest of it, actually, I don't have any change in my pocket. That's phenomenal that God's permitting us to do this. It's because of your faithfulness. 
So we've been focused on this, this uh, vision, and now God is going to answer that prayer. So what is God's vision for what he wants our church to become? What is the next step? Well, what I do is what I always do in these situations. I go into my office, I open my file cabinet, and I get out my crystal ball. And I put it on my desk. I get Windex. That Windex is great, man. I, I, you know, I spray. I want to make sure it's clear. And I sit in my desk, and I gaze into my crystal ball, and I anticipate that God will give me an answer. Well, Martha, the preacher's really lost it, finally. I mean... No, I don't have a crystal ball. Scott Mitchell has one, but I don't have one. But there is a lesson that I have learned over the years that applies to waiting on the Lord. This is the point in the sermon when I say, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. When you don't know what to do next, continue to do what you know he wants you to do. When you don't know what to do next... Continue doing what you know he wants you to do now. And as I, we continue to do, I think this is true for us as individuals, for families, and it's certainly true for our church. Continue to do what we know God wants us to do now. We need to seek his face. We need to continue to minister to people from the cradle to the grave. We need to continue to teach, to preach, to disciple, to witness, to work, to minister to one another and with each other. And to pray for God to bring in a harvest of souls. And God in his time will lead us over the next Jordan River. Um, God's not on our timetable. Um, we need to get on his timetable. And one of the ways we do that, whether you're dealing with a situation in your family, or whether it's something personal, or whether as a member of this church, you are praying as we are praying for what does God have for us, then we need to continue to do what we know to do now. And then he will reveal to us what we're going to do next.